For our exhortation, we want to carry on in the Gospel record of John. Now we get to chapter 6, and our minds are still there. We've come through to chapter 5. That poor man who'd, for 38 years, been unable to find relief from his condition, a man who represents Israel under the curse of death in the wilderness. 38 years. And Moses can do nothing for him. Moses can't get him into the promised land. Moses can't get himself into the promised land. Not even Moses can go forward. Moses has that bitter disappointment of knowing that land is there, and yet all he can see is with the eye of faith. One day Moses will see it in reality. But Israel were blind, and even Moses was something that they didn't understand. At the end of chapter 5, had he believed Moses, he would have believed me. So our minds are in the wilderness with Israel who find it difficult to see and understand what the word of God through Moses even was speaking of. As we go into chapter 6, we're still in the wilderness. And the references to the children of Israel are categorical and actually without doubt because the Lord Jesus Christ reminds them that they live by manna in the wilderness, the bread from heaven that the children of Israel ate. And as we move forward into John chapter 7, the subject moves to water, the water that came out of the rock. Time we come to chapter 7, the Lord Jesus says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. As we go into chapter 8, Jesus says he's the light of the world like that glory that shone in the, uh, in the pillar uh, of fire at night and lit up the way for them to go. So the symbolism of Israel in the wilderness is, is obvious and nobody would question that. But these were there to teach lessons and the record of John, the inspired record of the gospel record of John is there to draw out these lessons for us. And the Lord sees a multitude coming, and he asks Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these may eat? And we're told it's Philip that he asked. And verse 6 says, he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. A penny a day was the wage that people got. So 200 days wages is not sufficient. We might say almost you know, a year's salary. If I had a year's salary, I couldn't buy enough bread to feed all these people. This is a test for Philip. Why Philip? What, what is it about Philip that the gospel record draws our attention to? Philip was an evangelist. You go back to chapter 1, and it was Philip who brought Nathanael to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Philip who Jesus found, verse 43 of chapter 1, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. And Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found. Philip is uh, an exemplary disciple. He follows and he finds others to follow. And he finds Nathanael, and this is what he says. We have found him of whom Moses in the law 
and the prophets did right. But here was a man who believed Moses and believes Moses' writings. The end of chapter 5 says, had he believed Moses, he would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Philip was one who had got that far. He had looked at Moses' writings. We have found him of whom Moses in the law did write. Jesus of Nazareth, ah, the son of Joseph. That's his problem. Nathaniel, when Nathaniel realizes who Jesus is, he says, thou art the son of God. There was a way to go in Philip's understanding. He had to realize that Jesus wasn't the son of Joseph. He was what Nathaniel had instantly recognized when Jesus read his mind, was the son of God. So Philip, is that why Philip is singled out for this? He's got to be taken from his current comfort zone of Moses to realize that here was one who was the son of God. And he asks him, where are you going to get enough money to buy bread for all these people? And the answer, of course, is it's not going to come with money. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to provide for them. And they sit down in a place where there was much grass and he fed 5,000. When they get back to Capernaum, to the synagogue, a great discussion takes place. So verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him, uh, they asked him questions. Where had they found him? Go to verse 59, they found him in the synagogue. Verse 59 says, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So it looks like they'd gone back and they looked for Jesus. Where will he find him? He's in the synagogue. He's teaching. And he's trying to get them to understand what Moses in the law was really speaking about. And he explains to them that the bread, as they were looking for bread, they were looking for the next free meal. This was, this was marvelous. Uh, they didn't have to work. He provided the food. You know, Master, show us another sign. Uh, and he says, no, this isn't uh, the bread I'm talking about. I am the bread which came down from heaven. I'm the one you've got to eat. Whoa, that's a hard thing to say. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Deliberately hard, deliberately difficult, deliberately. It's going to put a lot of people off by talking like that. Jesus deliberately said things that would offend people who weren't really going to try and understand what he meant. We know what he meant, that we have to eat the bread and drink the wine of the memorial of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to enter in. He has to enter in us. We have to be part of his life. He has to be our life. We have to take his words into us. We have to take his example into us. We have to try and live his life. We have to follow him in the way. That's what he's talking about. But he put it in such a way as to turn many people away from him. To bring us to the point at the end of the chapter, in verse 67, will he also go away? 
He wants to bring them to that point of realization. There's a separation required. A time comes when you have to decide whose side you're on, which way you're going to go in life. Will we go with a crowd who are really interested in a free meal? Or is our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the decision that we are being brought to. And you can see the point of decision was made apparent by Peter and Judas. They're going to play a major part in the story as it unfolds. They're both going to play a huge part in the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas is going to be the instigator of it. And Peter's going to be the one who is exposed by it. Judas would be of this world and would go away to perdition. Peter would be a struggling disciple whose faith failed him at the crucial moment, but who would be recovered by the Lord Jesus Christ in the most wonderfully kind and gentle way, bringing him back to restoration and then giving him work to do in a spirit of humility to help others to find that way. To whom shall we go? We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Philip has to make this journey as well. He has to come from thinking that Jesus was the son of Joseph to believe that Jesus was the son of the living God. And these incidents in John chapter 6 take us along that journey. Well, in what sense? It's hard, isn't it, to explain sometimes to people that Jesus, when he says, I came down from heaven, how many times does he say that in this chapter? Lots of times. I came down from heaven. He's not talking about a pre-existent second person of the Trinity, but he's talking figuratively. These Bible echoes are very, very helpful here. This chapter is taking us back to Isaiah's prophecy and chapter 55. We come back to Isaiah 55, you'll see what I mean. That phrase, I came down from heaven, you find it in Isaiah chapter 55. It's in verse 10. It says this, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven. And returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. The word of God coming down from heaven is like the rain that comes down from heaven, the precipitation, rain, snow, the water of life, which is going to nourish the crops, comes down from heaven. It's a symbol of God's word. Jesus says, I am the one that has come down from heaven. When he says, I'm the bread that's come down from heaven, you understand what he's meaning, because you see what this water does, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So in that sense, the bread comes down from heaven, because without the rain coming down from heaven, there is no bread. Without the rain nourishing the seed, there's no bread 
because there's no harvest. In that sense, the bread comes down from heaven. It's a gift from God. What comes down from heaven is the rain. Without that, there's no bread. Without the word of God, there's nothing to feed on. What is John trying to tell us? And the word was made flesh. The word came down from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ was the word made flesh. He was born of the power of the Holy Spirit upon Mary. Without the Holy Spirit coming down, there would have been no Jesus. But not just the miraculous child, but his mind was full of God's word, revealed to him by his father. That word had come from his father that every morning the Lord Jesus awoke to the whispering of his father in his ear. Morning by morning he wakeneth me. So the word came down from heaven and Jesus is teaching that word. And it's food. It gives us life eternal. Notice then how this chapter starts. Ho everyone that thirsteth, Come to the waters, and he that hath no money, buy and eat. Notice what it says in John chapter 6. He says to Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? He says, Philip says, I, We haven't got enough money. If I, if I had a year's wages, I haven't got enough money. He's trying to get Philip to think, what did the prophets say? We found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write. Well, there was one that Isaiah wrote of who talked about giving bread without money and without price. And the Lord in this chapter, in John 6, is trying to get us to think about this. Verse 2 of Isaiah 55 says, Wherefore do we spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Your labor. John chapter 6, verse 27. When he gets back to the synagogue, he says to them, Labor not for the meat which perisheth. He's not talking about natural meat, neither is Isaiah 55. Here is bread without money, here is a harvest without labor. What do we have to do then? Well, hearken diligently unto me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness. It is the hearkening which is the feeding. Incline your ear and come unto me. Come unto me. It's there back in verse 1. Come ye to the waters. Come ye. Come by. And now come unto me. Well, if we haven't already noticed it, it'll shout at us when we now look at John chapter 6. Verse 35. Jesus saith unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 
They'd just been talking about bread, but now he adds thirst as well. Why? Because that's Isaiah 55, verse 1. Which then goes on to say, come to me. He says, if he comes to me, he's, he couldn't make it clearer, could he? He's reading off the page of Isaiah 55. He's saying to them in the synagogue, I don't know, maybe the scroll was open. I don't know whether he got the scroll of Isaiah down and it was open and he's going down. If you want food, if you're thirsty, come to me. Verse 37 of John 6. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me will I in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven. So if you're doubting whether I came down from heaven, there's a reference back to Isaiah 55 verse 10, it's really answered there because it's in the context of all those other references back to Isaiah 55. The thought process goes through Isaiah 55. If you want food, if you want drink, come to me because I came down from heaven. That's exactly what the whole of the chapter says. Where does the bread come from in Isaiah 55 verse 1? Where is this bread from? Verse 10, as the rain cometh down, and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That's what Isaiah 55 is pressing home. So as we go through Isaiah, uh, John chapter, you can go both ways. You could start in Isaiah 55 and follow through into the Gospel record of John, or you can go backwards. It's not, look, let me tell you this, it's not just chapter 6. I put on the, the folder that you'll have a copy of. It starts in chapter 1 of John and goes all the way at least through to chapter 8. I think there's four pages, four tables of, of, of references, just, and I'm, I'm sure I haven't got captured them all. So it's, it's writ large. Can we go down and see where that is. Well, just going down the chapter, we've looked at the references to buying food and buying meat. And then when we come to verse 25, let's go back to verse 24. They came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him, they said, Rabbi, whence camest thou? And what, what the record is, is implying, I think, is they asked, where have you come from? And you know what the real answer is? I came down from heaven. <laughs> That's what they're trying to get them to realize. In what sense? As the word cometh down, so Jesus was the word with us. Go back to Isaiah 55. Notice, they seek it, they're seeking for Jesus and when they had found him. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek ye Yahweh while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It's a limited opportunity. There is a, a, a moment of opportunity. If we are seeking while he may be found, we'll find him. Implication, there'll come a time when it's too late to find him. And the Lord makes that point in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 picks up the water, the drinking water aspect of it. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come unto me. 
John chapter 7 verse 34 says, Ye shall seek me and shall not find me. The time would come when he couldn't be found for the Jewish people, AD 70. You know, the nation was swept away. I think that's what it's referring to there. But of course, for all of us, there will come a time when it is too late. When time is over, the day of opportunity is past, when our probation period comes to an end, when there is time no longer. That's a salutary thought, isn't it? Salutary thought. And we don't know how long we have. We don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. We don't know when we individually will run out of time. So we have to be vigilant. We have to be awake. We have to be motivated day by day. When we look into the distance, it's too hard for us. We can't, we can't imagine how we're going to cope with all the problems we can see looming there. We don't know what we're going to do. We've got to live day by day. Sufficient unto the day. You know, bread for the day. That's what we need to do. What is Isaiah 55 saying then? It's got its own wider context. Take away the chapter division. Go just back into chapter 54, verse 13. That's quoted in John chapter 6. <laughs> it's, it's not as if this is hard to find. John chapter 6 actually makes that cross-reference for us. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. That's in John chapter 6 and verse 45. Yeah? So it's inviting us to go back and have a look at that section of Scripture. And just in passing, Jesus walks on the water in John chapter 6. The disciples are in a boat. And what's happening to them? Verse 11 of Isaiah 54. They're tossed with tempest. Right? So the setting is there. We've understood that John is talking about being born again, becoming the children of God. Isaiah 54 verse 1. Here's a barren woman who is having so many children, she's got to extend the tent to house them all. It's talking about the children of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go down Isaiah 55, we'll see that it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is inviting us is one who is going to be able to give us the sure mercies of David. It's about the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless we're born again. David doesn't appear in the Gospel record of John until chapter 7. And they say of Jesus, he can't be the Christ because the Christ is David's seed and David's son is going to be born in Bethlehem. So the sure mercies of David suddenly surface in John chapter 7. And then they have to find out that he was born in Bethlehem. And do you know who's tasked with going to find out where he was born? Nicodemus. <laughs> Search and look. I'm sure he did. When you next find Nicodemus, he's carrying the body of Jesus. We're there in Isaiah 55 as well. Verse 5. 
Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of Yahweh thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Nations that knew thee not, the Gentiles now are coming to seek Yahweh through the Lord Jesus Christ. But it requires a change, doesn't it? Born of the Spirit means a new way of life, a new way of thinking. And that's Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto Yahweh, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That is a, a beautiful thought. That's the heart of this chapter. We're being invited to come and feed and drink upon the word of God, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been invited to be embraced into the covenants of promise that we're no more strangers and pilgrims. We're no more aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We're going to be counted as true children with an inheritance that is laid up for us. We, Gentiles, have been invited to become the children of God. But it's a different way. A way made possible because he will have mercy. He will abundantly pardon. It's, it's so wonderful, isn't it? If you want to sketch up the structure of this chapter, it draws attention to these marvelous thoughts. And we wouldn't have thought it possible ourselves. Verse 8 says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And that, of course, is why Nicodemus didn't know what Jesus was talking about. His puzzlement is in Isaiah 55. It doesn't come naturally to us. We would not believe there could be such forgiveness, such mercy. The law didn't offer it in that way, did it? The law sentenced to death. And every one of them from came out of Egypt, the men who were faithless were dead by the time they got to the brook Zered after 38 years. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, God will do what Moses cannot. He can pass us from death unto life through forgiveness of sins. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, so shall my word be. We can rest on that, brothers and sisters. You know, we, we discuss how we can promote the word and we should be thinking about how we can preach it and what's the best way to advertise and how do we get our friends, neighbors to to come. These are good thoughts. But we've also talked over the weekend about the remarkable phenomena of the refugees coming out of Africa, coming out of Iran, who found their way into Christadelphian ecclesias in Germany, in Britain, and uh, Chicago, whatever, who have found the word of God. And it wasn't our doing. <laughs> we didn't put an advert in the Iranian post. <laughs> You know, 
by whatever means. I mean, there are, we have met uh, uh, brothers and sisters from the Congo and Zaire who learned the truth in refugee camps. You know, you just wouldn't, wouldn't credit it. But somehow, God's word has got to places where it's found a reception. So shall my word be. Verse 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Now just think of those phrases. It shall accomplish that which I please. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the one who did what God pleased. He was the perfect representation of that. And how many times does he say in the gospel that the Father hath sent me? Verse 29 of chapter 6, for example, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that he believe on him whom he hath sent. That's what Isaiah 55 is describing the word as the thing that is sent. As we read John chapter 6, we see Isaiah 55 come to life. It's the free gift of God. We, we are asked to come and feast without money and without price, without even doing the hard labor to receive mercy, to receive pardon, to drink of the rain that comes down from heaven, to feed of the, the harvest that is produced. But we have to come unto him. There's a point of separation. When the crowd goes one way, we've got to stop and say, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And though we see, you know, our friends, colleagues, even our family going down that broad highway, we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe? Who do we believe? What decision will we make? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And that's the one, our Lord Jesus Christ, who we remember in bread and wine this morning. And if we make the right decision, we have assurance, don't we, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that the kingdom will be there. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. In other words, instead of the thorns and thistles which come from the curse of sin and death will come the evergreen trees of everlasting life. It shall be to Yahweh for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Not be cut.